You know, I think some Christmas songs get a bad rap, and, and many of them not without merit. Trust me, I, I think about the, the 12 days of Christmas, for instance. That's always a quick punch out for me. I can't stand that song. It is somehow both boring and annoying and so repetitive, and I don't like any version of it, even the Pentatonix version, especially the Pentatonix version. Somehow the acapella makes it that much worse. I'm usually lost in looking for a uh, ice pick to give myself a winter lobotomy uh, by the time the seven sweepers are sweeping or however it goes. I'm not really sure. Uh, but some songs, I feel like they don't deserve the hate that they get, like um, the, the Little Drummer Boy. Now, I, I get it's a weird gift to give to a newborn babe and the baby's mother on the night. Uh, you know, why is this kid out at dark by itself? Why are their parents not around? And why in the world did he think that drumming was a good idea? I don't know. And yeah, the original version is really slow and, and repetitive too. But have you heard the Justin Bieber version? I love that version. And in fact, there's a Busta Rhymes uh, verse in the middle where he brings the fire, as the kids would say today, it slaps, right? Dab on the haters, right, students? What's that, Pastor Maggie? Don't, don't do that ever again. I should rethink my life choices. I'm not as relevant as I think I am. Whatever relevance I once had has been disappearing ever since I left college, and I don't like my hairline. That was harsh, but okay. Anyways, like I was saying, songs that get a bad rap, I can't stand. Uh, let me see, what did I make a note of? I can't stand Christmas shoes. Oh my gosh, yikes. Uh, Christmas shoes, it's like this emotional manipulation wrapped up in toxic consumerism. Ugh, tis the season, right? Or Dominic the donkey, hee-haw, hee-haw, I kind of want to punch that donkey in the face, don't you? I think PETA wants to punch that donkey in the face. But then there's Mary Did You Know. Mary Did You Know gets a lot of hate today. And again, not without good reason. I, I get that, like, the basic premise, Mary Did You Know, of, well, yeah, she did. That's the whole point of the angel Gabriel coming to tell her that she's going to bear God's son. Mary knew but did Mary know everything? Because the angel certainly hits the high notes, but there's a whole lot of detail left out of the Annunciation. One thing that is clear in the midst of Gabriel's sweeping prophetic statements is this abundance of peace with which Mary carries herself. This peace that we, we find through her two responses to the angel. The first in the form of a question, how is this possible? And the second, in this definitive statement that we hear echoed today, I am the Lord's servant. These give us a sign, a window into the heart of this adolescent mother of salvation, and they could guide us as disciples who seek and yearn for peace in the midst of the anxieties and fears that we face in this life. So today, let's continue our Advent series, this, this Advent season of waiting for Christmas that we experience in the Methodist Church. And it's our second week of Advent as we continue in this series called Sensing the Season, where we are uh, trying to come to, to know these stories in a deeper, perhaps even more emotional way as we, we hope to, to live in these stories and, and come to understand what it might have felt like to be those experiencing these scenes, not just hearing about it 2,000 years after the fact. In the text we heard this morning, the angel Gabriel says this, Don't be afraid, Mary. God is honoring you. 
Look, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of David his father. He will rule over Jacob's house forever, and there will be no end to his kingdom. This moment is frequently portrayed as we see it here, a wondrous, even magical moment where God's great plans are revealed to an unassuming girl. But this kind of imagery doesn't tell the full story, does it? In fact, I think this is the kind of painting that you can only have, this kind of view that you can only have if you weren't there if you choose to overlook the kinds of thoughts and emotions that were almost certainly at work in Mary's head and in her heart. I think a more honest depiction of the moment could look something like this. When you see this rendition of the Annunciation moment, what comes to mind for you? If you're watching on Facebook or YouTube, leave a comment in the chat. I want to know what you think. I see a girl coming to terms with unexpected news, and not the exciting, kind of surprising, in a fun way, unexpected news, but the, oh crap, this was not how life was supposed to go, kind of unexpected news. Mary was not an idiot. She knew what this was likely going to mean for her life. While the angel Gabriel emphasized what this meant for the eternity of the world, Mary could understandably have been stuck on what it meant for her conversations in the morning. It's hard enough being an unwed teen mom today, attaining an education, establishing a career, everything is harder as a result. It can have generational implications, and religious communities can so frequently be judgmental or even punitive rather than adopting a position of compassion. Now rewind the clock 2,000 years and add in some ancient legal code on top of that where she could experience a public execution as punishment. And imagine her thoughts as she listens to this announcement from Gabriel. Do you know what Joseph's going to think? Do you know what my parents are going to say if they say anything at all to me? What the community is going to think, I could die. And even if I don't, what, what does this kind of life mean for me? How do I do this? Not just for me. What does this mean for my son? My son. Joseph's not going to want to marry me. Nobody's going to want to marry me. I'm going to be the woman going to the well in the midday sun. I already know the things that they'll say behind my back, the things they'll say to my face. They won't call my boy the son of the Most High know exactly what they'll call him. What do I say to him? He's crying in my lap. How do I help him understand? Outcast, poor, rejected by our community, a walking scandal, a constant reminder of the shame that I have brought upon my family. And you say this honors me. 
And so when she finally opens her mouth and asks a question, how is this possible? I don't think she's simply talking about the conception. I think what she means is like, how is this, all of this, going to be possible? Because I'm not seeing a lot of good news right now, Gabriel. Regardless what she's asking, the angel's response is a curious one, invites our curiosity. Angel Gabriel says, the Holy Spirit will come over you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the one who is to be born will be holy. He will be called God's Son. Look, even in her old age, Gabriel says, your relative Elizabeth has conceived a son. This woman who was labeled unable to conceive is now six months pregnant. Nothing is and nothing will be impossible for God, the angel says. You know, this isn't foreknowledge. That's not what, the, what Gabriel's offering Mary. It's not foreknowledge. Gabriel explains in so symbolic of terms, punishingly symbolic, what is about to take place. But the angel offers very little in the way of concrete details. If, if Gabriel is painting a picture of what's to come, it is abstract in the vein of Picasso. Gabriel also does not offer an easier answer. The offer remains with nearly as much mystery as before. There, there's no smoothing over. There's no, how, here's how God is going to make it all better. The awkward and even dangerous conversations that need to take place still have to happen. The community rejection is still on the table. Very little in the way of risk has been resolved. Gabriel doesn't offer foreknowledge, and Gabriel doesn't offer an easy explanation. Instead, the angel offers assurance. The same kind of assurance that Gabriel offered in the first greeting. Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. Assurance is not having all the information, nor is it God putting life on easy mode. Instead, it's this deep-seated confidence that comes from knowing, perhaps not how, but simply and certainly that God is at work in our lives. In the hymn, Blessed Assurance, Fanny Crosby pens it this way, perfect submission, all is at rest. I and my Savior am happy and blessed. Mary is seeking this kind of blessed assurance, something that can offer her rest when her very natural reaction is anxiety, something that can inspire quiet confidence as she faces a wilderness of worry and fear and perhaps self-doubt. Friends, when is the last time that you asked God for assurance? When is the last time that you asked God for that kind of quiet confidence that comes from knowing that God is at work in the midst of your life? I don't know what my answer would be to this question. Perhaps it's why I haven't stepped out in faith too much in recent memory. There are few persons in Scripture more venerated or celebrated than Mary, and even she has the courage, the audacity to ask God for this assurance that can set her on the path of faith and also the path of peace. This is where our journey towards peace can begin as well. Not in knowing every detail, not in God smoothing out our every story, but in simply knowing that God is at work and catching that glimpse of God's activity in the midst of our lives. You know, Mary's assurance 
reminds me of a road trip I took one time. Remember road trips? Those were fun. Reagan and I, my wife and I, went with some friends on a road trip touring the Southwest. We went to, let's see, Santa Fe and the Grand Canyon and then Durango and then Taos. And it was on the way between Durango and Taos that I was driving and we were in the mountains and we got caught in a snowstorm. Now, I love to plan for vacations. I am that guy, the guy that makes an Excel spreadsheet so that everyone can have maximum fun, right? I plan out every single detail. I know what we're doing at every minute of every day. I know where we're going. I know where we're eating. I know what we're going to do for fun. I know when we're going to get there, when we're going to leave. I know which routes we're going to take. I know what the temperatures are going to be. I even put on the spreadsheet when the sunset and sunrise are so that if we want to take pictures, we can. I plan for everything but I hadn't planned for this. My little weather app hadn't bothered to tell me that there might be a snowstorm on our route that day. And I don't know if you know this, but I'm a native Texan. And I'm a Texan driver, so not exactly prepared for blizzard-like conditions on the road. My friends tell me that for the hour and a half we were stuck in that snowstorm going a little bit up and then down the mountain, my knuckles were as white as the snow flurry in front of our faces. Couldn't see more than like 30 feet in front of you at best. And it was maybe the most scared I've been in my life, the most existential dread I had that maybe this is how it ends. Maybe I'm that schmuck that ends up in a snowstorm and on the evening news, you know, some dummy went driving in a snowstorm. Is this going to be me? Is this how it all ends? And I had two distinct thoughts in that moment. First, if this is how we die, Reagan's going to kill me. She's never going to let me live this down. That woman can hold a grudge. We'll be at the pearly gates and she'll be tapping her foot saying, I cannot believe you allowed this to happen. And secondly, I remember thinking, and maybe this was a little selfish, but I thought to myself, I am so glad I'm not alone. The fact that I had my friends there trying to reassure me and calm me as I drove on, I think that allowed me to keep driving. I don't know what would have happened if I'd been alone. So glad I was not alone. Sometimes I think, many times I think, the only assurance we may receive when we ask for it is that same assurance that Mary received on that night. The knowledge that God is with us. We are not alone. Not yesterday, not today, not tomorrow. God asks us to walk through the unknown, but never alone. Never alone. There are times when God will absolutely ask us to step out into faith, to go driving in the snowstorm. I mean, like, not literally, don't go driving in snowstorms, be a responsible driver, but figuratively, God will ask us to go driving in snowstorms. God will ask us to take those steps of faith, and our walk of faith includes learning to embrace the unknown, to embrace the unknown and to keep walking, to keep moving forward. But we're able to step out in that kind of a faith with a spirit of peace because of the assurance that we receive that God is with us. We are not alone. Gabriel is so sparing in the details but also abundantly clear that God is holding Mary just as she is asked to hold God's child in her heart and in her womb. And so with all that Gabriel has shared, Mary offers her response. I am the Lord's servant, she says. Let it be with me just as you have said. But Gabriel has left so much unsaid. 
This night of awe and wonder and fear and peace is more significant than Mary could possibly know. Do, we, do you know why we celebrate Christmas on December 25th? And it's not because ABC family needs 25 days of Christmas, by the way. You may have heard that the Christian church at some point co-opted the pagan winter solstice rituals as a means of evangelizing, uh, hence the Christmas trees and the holly and all the stuff that is nowhere to be found in the Bible. But there's more to this story, and it starts with a guy named Hippolytus of Rome. Hippolytus of Rome was a second century theologian who did his homework. He studied Jewish lunar calendars, and he discerned when the Passover would have been the year that Jesus died, and he was able to make a case that Jesus had been crucified on March 25th in the Gregorian calendar, the same kind of calendar that we use today. In those days, it was a commonly held belief, there was this sort of tradition that the greatest people among us, I'm talking kings and queens and great prophets, that these people would have died on the same day they were conceived. And so Hippolytus of Rome did the math and counted nine months out, and bing, there's December 25th. And that's why Christmas is on the day that it is today, because Hippolytus started that conversation. But let's not miss what I just said, that Christ was believed by our tradition to have been conceived on the same day that he would eventually be crucified. As Gabriel is announcing to Mary this new life within her, what would be the night of her greatest awe and wonder would in 30 years become the night of her greatest grief. Let it be just as you have said. Did she know? what she was signing up for? Did she know what she was saying yes to? Did Mary truly know? I'm not so sure. But I'm not so sure that it matters or that it would have mattered. Because if Mary had known all the tears that she would have cried for all the reasons, Jesus' birth, his bar mitzvah, his runaway from home, the miracles, the wonders, the signs, the community rejection, the whispers, the side-eyes, the ridicule, the contempt, the trial, the execution, the resurrection. She could have filled the river Jordan with the tears that she would eventually shed, tears of pain and tears of joy for this man who would always be her baby boy. And I like to believe that Mary would have always said yes. If she known it all, she would have said yes to all of it. Because before Mary was, jo- was Jesus' mom or Joseph's wife or that cool aunt at the wedding who found more wine, before she was any of these things, she was the Lord's servant. She said yes, not just to the easy stuff, not just to the good times that God offered, but to the frightening and the risky and the unknown times as well. And the reality is she didn't have to say yes to God. She could have said yes to so many different things, to maintaining her pure public image, to the expectations of her fiancé, to the pressures of her religious community, to her own fears and worries. But first and foremost, Mary was a disciple. She was the first disciple who knew offering her yes to God would find more favor than offering a yes anywhere else. Mary could have said yes to many things. She chose her yes 
to God. And that became the source of her peace. As disciples, Mary offers us an image of what our faith can look like when we name that before anything else, we are God's servant. The question is not if we serve and say yes, but to whom and to what. Am I serving God or am I serving my own selfish ambition? Am I serving God or am I serving other people's expectations of me? Am I serving God or am I serving my own desire for comfort or safety or all that is known? Because whatever I serve first is always most likely to get my yes. I wonder what our faith could look like. I wonder what our week or even what tomorrow morning could look like as we choose to walk the path towards peace in the footsteps of Mary. Her path includes three clear movements. First, we ask for assurance. Remember that if nothing else, God is always with you yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Second, we embrace the unknown. Because the life of faith never promised us easy or easily seen. And number three, we choose whom we serve. Because our yes will always find its most favor when we offer it to God. Sometimes Gabriel visits in a flash of light and sound. Sometimes Gabriel visits in an unexpected email. Sometimes it's simply the whisper of the spirit that won't leave us alone. However Gabriel visits, I wonder what could happen if we choose to walk in Mary's path, knowing what she knew. It might just change the world. May Mary's peace become our own. Amen.